Estimates show there are approximately 10,000 people in Dallas experiencing homelessness. Over 3,008 individuals came through our doors at Austin Street just last year. These are people like you and me who are experiencing homelessness at a given point in time. I uh, lost my son 12 years ago, and nothing has really mattered to me. I had fallen and busted my head open, and I came in here, and they have just been wonderful to me. When I went to the hospital last January with my head, this lady asked me, did you say you were homeless? And I said, yeah, and she said, you don't look homeless. And I said, now that you mention it, what does homeless look like? I mean, I've been guilty of that myself. Now I know what homeless looks like. It can be anybody. You know, unless you've got bukus of money in the bank, you may drive a nice vehicle, live in a nice home, but you're one check away or one job loss away. Never, never imagined being in this position when I had major back surgery and I wasn't supposed to be carrying heavy tools up a 20-foot ladder climbing across the roof. But that was the only skill that I had. And I've got to where I'm in constant pain, went through a divorce, and uh, found myself here. People think about homelessness as if it's a single category of, of people. But the reality is it's as diverse as the population of Dallas. I'm a heavy hauler. When I was in the oil field, I made a lot of money, but I didn't think about the rainy day. Stayed in Houston to the Hurricane Harvey last year. Uh, destroyed my home. It's more than just providing basic needs and safe shelter. It's recognizing that until you provide those basic needs, people can't begin to think, I wonder if something different is possible for my life. Felicia's our chaplain. I go every morning to what they call chatting with the chaplain. Uh, Felicia's really turned my life around. She's made me um, believe again, and she's made a difference. At Austin Street Center, we reject the status quo and develop smart, efficient partnerships with volunteers and other organizations to provide the support each client needs to transition out of homelessness, regardless of faith, sexuality, or circumstance. They have health services. They have mental health services. I didn't know until I came here that I was depressed, but they helped me see that through. The um, SNAP card people come here and will help get you signed up for food stamps. The Social Security people come here every week. So they just have everything that you really need to get back on your feet again. The Sisterhood is uh, Austin Street's flagship program. We serve 34 women at a time. Those women have experienced some type of trauma in their life. Some of us here, including myself, may have made bad choices in the past. And so this place gives me an opportunity to have that extra hope. And you'll have guidelines to help you be confident in your finances, along with leads on where to go for an apartment. So people with criminal backgrounds, maybe, would have that reassurance that there's somebody out there to help. We try to work with them from the inside out is the way I like to think of it. So if I help to heal them on the inside, then they're better on the outside. We are an environment, an atmosphere where the community can come and serve their homeless neighbors. 360,000 meals a year that don't come from our own kitchen. We have no stove, no grease trap, no oven, no grill 
but from churches and businesses and civic organizations that say, we wanna come make a difference through giving, through volunteering and through partnering. We are making a difference. And with your support, we can expand our impact in Dallas. You know, I never thought it would happen to me, you know, but it did. It's amazing how it takes a community of people uh, to make a difference in someone's life. And you never know uh, how that story is gonna end and who is gonna invest in their life to make that ending possible. All you need is that little nudge to help you get back on your feet, but you gotta want it. And for a long time, I wasn't ready for it, but I am ready for it now. And they've helped me see me through everything. Join us at Austin Street Center and help them home. When you come through that door, you're safe. I have nothing but gratitude for being able to be here. I, I don't know what I did on the town, Austin Street. Thanks, guys, for indulging um, the video for a minute to, to hear a little bit about what's happening at Austin Street. I want to start off with just a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Um, and I do uh, pray for all the victims of, uh, of the storm or the tornado. And I ask that you, God, would come and open up our hearts and our minds uh, to people who are in great need of our, all kinds. Uh, to people who are in need of poverty, um, who in their poverty they uh, can't see a way out, how to uh, pay bills, people who don't have uh, a roof over their heads, whether it's due to the storm or uh, due to their addiction or whether it's due to mental illness or uh, just due to lack of affordable housing. Um, God, I pray for those that are uh, in need relationally, who their family systems have broken apart, they are, find themselves without community and um, are in need of relationship. And I, I pray for all of us that we all have a need of one kind or another, and would you open up uh, our eyes to our own need, that we would come to you and that you would meet that need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, favorite verse is Isaiah 58.10. If you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then surely your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. That is really great news for all of us um, because the promise there is uh, that God is with you and uh, that he has called us to serve others. And I'll be honest with you, you know, um, through most of my life, I find as I serve others, I find God in that place. And it has been a beautiful awakening, one after the other, of where God has come and met my needs when I'm there to serve others. There have been other times where I've been like, well, God, what's the deal? I thought that if I was here to serve others, that everything would just be roses and rainbows. And right now, it doesn't feel very rosy. Um, it, but when I look back over my life, uh, God's faithfulness is extraordinarily evident. Um, and he has been so good and so kind above and beyond what I could ever think of or imagine. 
And, uh, and that's, that's my testimony that I wanted to share with you guys uh, today. Before I go into uh, the message that I wanted to share, I wanted to thank a few people. Uh, the first is the amazingly gifted um, people of extraordinary character, the leadership at Antioch, uh, Dallas. You guys have amazing folks that, um, that get to share. I am so blessed by the people that speak here every Sunday. Um, Zach has not only been an um, amazing friend, but he's been here for me uh, time and time again when I've been in need, and I am uh, indebted to him. So thank you, Zach, for all that you've done for me. Um, thank you for the rest of Antioch leadership. Uh, Joe, for you, for Donnie, for everybody uh, that's here. You guys um, provide amazing um, service and leadership to this community, and you're a blessing to Dallas. And, uh, and so I thank each and every one of you. Um, and she was here for the early service. I didn't get a chance to share as much about my wife. She's here on the screen. Um, but I have a remarkable uh, partner in service. Um, and for the majority of, of our time together, um, you know, we, we met when we were 16 and have been together ever since. Um, although we broke up for six months when we were 17. That was my fault. I, I'm still paying for it, but... So outside of that six months, um, so anyway, she's, she's, we've walked through this journey together, um, and uh, so many late nights, so many weekends, uh, she moved across the country with me uh, to serve people who were in significant need, and, uh, and she's always, she's, she's amazing faithful. Uh, she's obviously beautiful and kind, loyal and faithful, but she just has it in her heart. Uh, deeper than anybody um, to serve people who are in need. She was serving people in the inner city with uh, 5th and 6th grade life groups all the way back when we were in college and even before that. And so, um, anyway, she's amazing. If you haven't got a chance uh, to meet her and get to know her, um, I pray that, I hope that you get that opportunity. Um, but I grew up here in Dallas, um, in Lake Highlands area, not far from here. Um, my mom became a Methodist minister during later on in life. But before that, the thought of how do we serve our community was something that my family was interested in. And so what began of, hey, people on the side of the road flying signs saying, hey, I need help, and we were struggling with what to do about it, turned into let's make bags together. So I remember as a young kid, us around the kitchen, you know, getting granola bars and water bottles and put them into brown paper bags and storing them, you know, in, in, uh, in the car. And then whenever we drive by, you know, giving folks those bags. And it's something that, uh, that was a very um, positive experience, something that me and my mom did together. And then later on, I was about seven when I went down to Austin Street for the first time and served a meal uh, with my family, with, with the, the church that I grew up in. And I hope that's encouragement for any parents that are here. Um, and really, regardless of whether you're a parent or not, you don't know the impact of the people that are around you. You sow seeds, uh, you have influence, you create an atmosphere around you that when people engage with you, those, uh, those seeds, those words of encouragement, those things that you do together in your life group or you know, at your workplace... You know, and those seeds uh, become um, fruit in somebody else's life. So my mom decided to take me down to serve a meal at a homeless shelter, uh, and now I am running that homeless shelter now 20, 
oh gosh, 30 years later, I'm older than I thought. Um, so, so just to say, um, you know, you have so much more influence than you know in people's lives. Um, so that turned into serving hot chocolate on Christmas, stealing my parents' blankets and jackets out of their closet and giving them away. Um, and uh, when that joined uh, Baylor University, went to college, uh, had a ragtag group of guys that moved in together. <laughs> we actually had at one time 14 guys living in a four-bedroom uh, four house. Like, I'm not kidding. And uh, two of those guys were actually um, homeless that we invited to sleep on our couch because we were trying to, like, uh, make an impact in the community. And, um, and we were trying to learn, you know, how to live out uh, what we were reading because uh, we would get up every morning at 630 and read the Bible together and worship, and we're trying to live that out. Well, these guys um, became uh, part of our friends in our community, and um, I actually... I actually invited them home for Thanksgiving. I told my parents I met some friends at college. I'm bringing them home for Thanksgiving. I didn't tell them they were recently homeless. So uh, that was a surprise to my parents, but they rolled with the punches. Um, and uh, from there, after college, I moved to Portland, Oregon. And that's a lot of these pictures that you see up here. So um, Vicki is, um, is the young woman here between my wife and I at one of my friend's weddings. Uh, she lived in inner city, uh, Waco. She was an amazing woman, uh, was obviously much older than my wife and I, but um, didn't know how to read, so we used to get together on a weekly basis. I tried to teach her how to read. I don't think I succeeded, but I learned a lot through our relationship, and she did a great job loving me through that process. Um, she was funny. Um, she had really rough, rough living conditions. She lived in basically a shack. And I, I remember when she showed up in the middle of the night once because she, she had, I'm not kidding, she had a cockroach in her ear and she couldn't get it out. So I brought her to the emergency room. Um, then moved to Portland, Oregon. This is the apartment um, my wife and I lived in. And we had a homeless youth. So usually they referred to themselves as street kids. Um, and we would, you know, meet in our apartment complex. Um, and then that's a drop-in center I ended up running in Portland. Um, so, and then that's one of the uh, guys, Mark, who lived in one of our friend's basements. He was also homeless. And, um, and we got to know Mark really well. And um, so he was a great friend. And a lot of other pictures, which I, I didn't, couldn't bring them all, you know, onto a, we'd be here all day looking at my personal photo album, but, um, which I'm going to spare you from. But, but through that process, a verse surfaced that's uh, from Psalm 12, uh, 5, that says, If you spend your, I'm sorry, if, um, because the poor, despoiled, and uh, needy grown, I'll rise up, says the Lord, and place them in this uh, place of safety for which they long. And so that became um, something that I was, felt called to and been trying to live out ever since. Um, so what I've learned from these experiences has been three main things. Uh, serving people with significant need um, is an act of worship. Uh, serving people with significant need uh, is our own personal growth and sanctification. Um, and serving people in significant need is just living out the gospel. Uh, and so I hope that's what we gain from today's, uh, from today's message. Uh, so the first part about that is serving people with significant need is worship. And uh, I, I think I've learned that from uh, just that scripture in Matthew 6.10 where it says that, you know, 
God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? It's part of the Lord's prayer. You may have heard it um, said before, and whether, you know, around the dining room table or um, on TV or maybe prayed it on a, uh, yourself on a, on a regular basis. But right after that verse is uh, Matthew eleven five, And in Matthew eleven five, I'll kind of set the stage for you. Uh, John the Baptist, right, this is someone who's related to Jesus. Um, but he is trying to figure out whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, right? He, he's, he thinks he's, he's the Messiah, but he's, like, trying to, like, make doubly sure, right? So he's like, wait a second, okay, I'm staking my whole life, right, my entire ministry on saying, you know, Jesus, you know, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, send the word back to John the Baptist, who's in prison. He said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, people with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. The reason why that has stuck out to me is because that phrase, good news being proclaimed to the poor, it just doesn't seem to belong to the others. We're saying this is the proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Good news is being proclaimed to the poor. That means, one, it's really rare that good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Because it's marking Jesus as the Messiah. Number two, you're saying all these miracles are being done. People with lame, who are lame are like getting up and walking around. People who are dead are now alive. These are miracles that are happening. And he's associating Good news being proclaimed to the poor with all those things as being signs that Jesus is the Messiah. And I just, I, I just find it so significant that it would be associated with those other things. And I wonder, why is it that it's so rare that good news is being proclaimed to the poor? And I even find it common today. So there's a lot of people that, um, that preach to the poor in running a homeless shelter, we actually have street preachers who will come by, like on a daily basis, and um, preach the gospel. Mostly, it's repent and give your life to Jesus. And it happens on Monday, and it happens on Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. Now, I'm not saying that that's a, a bad message or a message that people don't need to hear. But hearing that every day, I'm not sure sometimes like how much good news is involved in that message. A lot of times it's just, hey, you need to change, 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 you need to change. And the good news being proclaimed to the poor is God loves you and there's grace and forgiveness and love for you, and there's hope that difference is possible for your life, and God wants good things for you. That, that is good news, and it's not always what people hear. Um, so basically, the journey of experiencing God's presence for me has been one and the same as discovering God's heart through serving the poor. Um, those things have not been separated. I'll give you an example. When I was in Portland, 
I got a chance uh, to get a, uh, a Noah Street kid, someone who'd been out of, out of many foster homes and group homes, and his name was Roken. That was his street name. And um, Roken um, was, I was supposed to meet him at a coffee shop because we were, he had a, wanted me to be his mentor. And when I go to the coffee shop, um, he wasn't there, and I was like, well, I guess he blew me off. And I leave the coffee shop, and he's a block away waving me down. So I go to see him, and I'm like, hey, why are we not in the coffee shop? He's like, well, they won't let me in. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, what did you do? You know, why, why are you, uh, you know, assuming that there's some fault of his? And he's like, no, 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 they just won't let me in. I'm like, yeah, right, what, like, what? what happened maybe in the past, and he's like, no, 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 I've never been there before. They just don't want me. And so um, knowing that that does occasionally happen, I'm like, okay, well, let's go together. Maybe they assumed you weren't able to buy anything, and maybe if we go together and I show them that I'm a customer, then, you know, we'll, then we'll be fine. So we go in there together. We're stopped at the door by the security guard who says, hey, I'm sorry, he's not a lot in. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry for the misunderstanding. We're here to be customers. You know, and um, he's like, no, 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 he's not allowed. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Did, was there an incident? You know, was something taken? Was there, was there an issue why he's not allowed in? He's like, I'm not answering your questions, he's not allowed in. I'm like, maybe there's a misunderstanding. I pull my wallet, I show him, hey, we're here to buy coffee. I point at the coffee shop, I'm like, we're here to be customers. He's like, well, you can leave too. So basically, there's a refusal for any explanation, and it's clear to me at that point in time that... They just don't like his appearance and, um, you know, that, that if I'm willing to be his advocate, that they would rather forego the money than to have somebody with that appearance um, in the store. And so I, we go to leave, and I'm ready to, like, you know, the, the, the sense of justice in me is, like, rising up, and my face is red, and I'm like, this is wrong, and... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm young, uh, and so I'm like, you know, I'm going to call my dad's lawyer, and I'm going to, you know, like, you know, we're going to shut this place down, and, you know, we'll get a, you know, get a protest group or whatever. And, um, you know, but, but God speaks to me in that moment and said, you know, Daniel, you're not going to do any of those things um, because I want you to experience what your friends go through, and I want you to know what I go through with them. Um, and I realize that there is a place of intimacy with Jesus that you receive in suffering the same injustices. Because it's the way that Jesus did. Jesus received all kinds of injustices from his community. And um, instead of claiming his rights and calling down worship uh, from serving people who are, um, who are in significant need. And in my day now, it's, it's much more administrative than it used to be. Um, but at the end of the day, every day, my favorite part of the day, sometimes to my wife's dismay because it adds another hour and a half usually to the end of my day, is I leave uh, my office and I just go hang out in the shelter. And I have... A, slew of relationships, people that I get to uh, get to know um, as folks are playing dominoes or cards or, you know, charging their phones or trying to get their needs met, speaking with our case management staff or our shelter, trying to, uh, and, and I just get to know people. And uh, I leave, like I may be stressed out before entering the shelter, but when I leave, I can tell you, I feel the presence of God. And it's a wonderful feeling. 
Um, and I hope uh, each one of you uh, get that same blessing in your life. So serving people with significant need is worship. Serving people with significant need is an act of uh, sanctification or growth in your life. Uh, for me, again, the journey of serving um, people in need is the journey of coming in touch with our own poverty and God's redemptive work in it. The more you know people in need, the more you see yourself in them. God's redemptive work in them through you brings revelation to his love and compassion to his healing work in your life. So let's just get real. Um, we all have stuff. We all have issues. We all have things that we wish weren't there that we think God needs to uh, you know, fix in our life. Um, and when we hang out with people whose needs are utterly apparent, right, there's no hiding it. There is a, pace, a place of glory in that. Because, honestly, most of the people that I know, like in my world, they spend most of the time trying to hide their stuff, right? But when I hang out with people at Austin Street, there is no hiding it, right? They're staying in the shelter, and they've had to come to terms, you know, with that place. And there's something real freeing about that. And so you're there with people whose stuff is all, you know, exposed, and, you know, you're liberated by that. And in that place, instead of entering to a power dynamic of where you look like, you know, um, you know you're superior to somebody else who, who, is, who is vulnerable because their need is exposed. You have the opportunity to expose your need as well and to recognize that you're all one and the same. Because before God, aren't we all exactly in the same spot? Aren't we all equally in need of God based upon, you know, the sin that's in our life? Is one person's sin really any greater um, or smaller than somebody else's before a, a righteous God? No, we're all equally in need of, of, uh, of, of forgiveness of a righteous and holy God. And so we come into this beautiful place and we serve people in significant need. And there's this um, kind of symbolism through the Bible where, you know, there's light and darkness, there's wealth and poverty, there's righteousness and sin. And, and all those things kind of come together where, where um, I remember, or in, in Isaiah, it says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm lost, and I live among people of unclean lips. And I feel like there's such a clear, the person who's saying that recognizes their own poverty. They recognize that they are in need of God. And, and I feel like that's what comes to the surface of me any time that I'm hanging out with people in need. Because they recognize their need, right? They're always desperate. Hey, how do I get my need met? Right? How do I get back into you know, an apartment or a place to live? How do I get over-the-counter medication to get this splitting headache to stop? How do I get just the basic food and clothing and just the basic thing? How do I get a sheet to sleep on tonight? How do I get my basic needs met? And I realize I'm in the same place. How do I get forgiveness? How do I get just to be okay? How do I get the things that I, I, I need in order to be uh, you know, okay with God? And so we're all in that same place together. I remember meeting this guy named Herc. Man, the guy was a hot mess. Uh, I used to go visit him when he was in prison. Uh, he was a part of this street gang that used to inject heroin into their neck as a part of the initiation into their street gang. He actually was in jail as a part of... Um, because uh, he had uh, been a part of a, um, uh, 
ending someone's life out on the streets. And so when I, when I met him, uh, he was violent towards somebody else in a uh, homeless youth drop-in center that I was running, uh, a woman. And so I had kicked him out. And at that point in time, um, you know, he, he was gone. And then, you know, he comes back the next day and um, across the street, and he's in uh, utter tears. He's weeping. So I go across the street to talk to him, and, uh, you know, he's bawling. And he asked me for a Bible. And so in that moment, I'm able to give him a Bible. We talk through what happened. You know, before this, you know, when he was mad, I kicked him out initially. He threatened my life. And um, this is from a person who was fairly dangerous. And, uh, but I told him in that moment, so he's, he's yelling at me. So he's, he's standing next to me, yelling at me in my face, saying, threatening my, and this is someone who I know had hurt people. And I yelled back at him. And I told him, you're not going to lay a finger on me because you know that I love you. You know that I went to go visit you in prison. And you know that I care about you. And that was the end of our conversation. And it was the next day after that that he came back bawling in tears, asking me for a Bible and asking how he can begin a relationship with God. So I'm just saying that when we're in that place of vulnerability, working with people that, whose lives are a mess, we, when we recognize that our own place, like I, I don't know where that came from. If I hadn't put myself in that position, there's no way that I have the confidence to be able to say those things. But it's like in that place, um, you know, I, uh, you know, it's like God something, I don't know what happened. I guess God's, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but I just, I guess I'm just sharing it to be, you know, an encouragement of, um, of, of what God does in you when you put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Um, so finally, I know I need to move on here. Um, you know, when we serve people with significant need, you know, we're doing the gospel. Um, and, um, you know, what you believe is proven out by what you do. Um, and uh, I think I've been drawn by this by kind of struggling through, you know, the belief about God versus, you know, you know how you live your life and just realizing that, you know, this stuff works its out naturally, you know. When you believe right things, then, you know, your life, and it's a process, right? Your life begins to line up, you know, with, with what you believe. Um, I think there are a lot of different kinds of uh, poverty that are out there. Um, you know, there's a poverty of, uh, of money, but there's also an internal poverty, um, a poverty of community. There can be um, a poverty of relationships, uh, Mother Teresa, which you can bring that slide up, Mother Teresa said um, that we think that poverty is only about being hungry, naked, and homeless, but the poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. Um, and I think that's just powerful and speaks to the fact that we all have need, and when we come to serve people who are in need, there are all types of needs to be met. Uh, and if we we'll recognize that there is need in every person we come in contact with, then we realize that there's something, you know, to offer them. And if we recognize our own need, then we can receive from any person, right, no matter who they are, because we realize that we have our own poverty as well. Um, 
specifically with homelessness, I just mentioned to you, you know, how this relates, this relational poverty relates, is that poverty alone um, is not the be-all, end-all for homelessness either. Um, if you were to lose your income, you may not end up being homeless. You know, but poverty plus having some type of a crisis, uh, so basically like, you know, your car dies or your medical bill comes in that you can't afford or, you know, something happens, um, you know, could be a divorce, could be, uh, man, God, we hear it could be a tornado, could be so many different things. Poverty plus a crisis minus some kind of social support. So if you don't have family to go see or you don't have a friend, a friend to call on where you can go stay at their place for a while, you know, that social support is huge. Uh, it's basically, or you could say poverty plus a crisis plus a disconnection, you know, of relationship. You know, that is what equals an actual state of homelessness. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a book out called Same Kind of Different as Me. And there's a guy who's homeless who helped write it named Denver Moore. And he used to say, um, you know, he was talking to a day shelter provider for the homeless. And he was telling that shelter, why do you let them out to the devil at night? Basically, there's all kinds of bad stuff that happens on the streets when you're homeless in the evening time, which is why we provide overnight shelter. But the reason why he's saying that is because... You know, there's, um, there's so much bad that happens out there. Um, homelessness is a great picture of this kind of um, difference between, you know, uh, when I talk about the symbolism of, you know, uh, heaven and or light and darkness, you know, and heaven and hell and, and poverty and, and prosperity. And when we're praying, God, bring your head, because I'm telling you, I picture in my mind when I'm praying, God, bring, you know, heaven, you know, down here to earth. I'm thinking about, God, you know, would you take this, um, these horrible things that happen on the streets at night? Because I'm telling you, there was somebody who came to Austin Street uh, the other night, uh, a woman who, you know, had just been devastated, you know, and victimized by several men who were on the street. And I wanted, you know, her, uh, that not to happen to her. You know, um, and so horrible things that we need God's, um, God's light to shine in these dark places. You know, Dallas is a city, uh, it's, it's a tale of two cities. You know, there are some parts of our city that's full of prosperity and opportunity, and there are other parts that are in desperate need. You know, one in three children in Dallas live in poverty. There's over 4,500 people who are homeless every night in our city. Uh, yet there are some uh, over 70,000 millionaires um, in North Texas uh, with over $457 billion of net worth. And I don't say that because money's bad. I'm like, man, make as much money as you can. I don't think there's anything in the Bible against that. I think what there is is a, uh, as a commandment that, hey, come together and share with everyone who has need. And so it's more of a challenge for us to be generous, right, and uh, to be loving uh, than anything else. So that leads us to what are we called to do? What's our part and um, I think it's just, uh, it's individual one by one. So I'm asking you, what is the thing that you're called to do today? Uh, when I think about the good Samaritan, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that story of the good Samaritan, you know, the person that they were called to love um, was somebody who was robbed and beaten and on the side of the road. So for, for you, who is, the, who is the person that maybe God's put in, in your life that you could be able to bring some encouragement uh, and love to whatever poverty is, is in their life? 
Uh, and what, what does that look like? A lot of people ask me what to do about panhandling. Um, and I'm not going to give a direct answer. Um, but I am going to say, what does love look like to somebody who is isolated from relationship? What does love look like to someone who may be drug addicted or alcohol addicted? What does love look like to such a person? Would it look like giving a dollar or giving a hundred dollars? Would it look like giving a bag of food and water? Would it look like taking them to church or taking them to Austin Street? Would it look like inviting them to life group? I don't know, but I know that there's maybe one step or one thing that maybe God's calling you to do. And for me, obviously, this has been a lifelong journey, right? I told you about starting with bags and ending with the craziness that my life looks like today. Um, But uh, I think, um, you know, it may look like volunteering, you know, um, at Austin Street or Forerunner Ministries or a thousand other amazing organizations that are in our city doing good work. Um, But I know that a part of um, following Jesus and living this crazy life of being a Christian um, and worshiping God and learning to walk with him and doing the gospel is, um, is, is loving and, and building relationship with people in significant need. So, but perhaps you're here today and, um, you know, relationship with God isn't something that you've ever really given yourself to. It's not something that you've tried out. You've never made a decision and been like, hey, yeah, that's what I want to go for. That's what I want to pursue. But maybe you're also thinking, yeah, I recognize that I do have some level of poverty in me. Maybe it's not necessarily financial poverty, but I recognize um, a need of forgiveness from God um, in my life from whatever sin or whatever havoc I've, I've, uh, I've done in my life. And so what I wanted to do is take a moment to pray. And um, I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud, but, but just maybe repeat in your heart um, the things that I'm going to say. Um, and then we're going to spend some time in worship. So after I do the, uh, after we pray, I want you to just kind of think about God. What is the one step that you want me to do, or that you're calling me to do, in order to serve and love uh, and build relationship with people in need? Okay. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for me. I recognize uh, that I am a person in significant need that you are a God of forgiveness and I choose to accept your love and forgiveness to turn from sin and to follow you. Would you build in me a heart to fully love and worship and follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for that word, Daniel. And as Daniel just mentioned, you know, thinking about that question of, you know, what's the step that I need to make? And so in in doing so, uh, I want to invite us to take communion uh, communion together. And as, as you think about that question, just also think about 
what, what it is that we're doing, and that is that we are remembering the broken body and the, and, and the shed blood of Christ who gave it all up for, to be able to enter into our world and into our poverty. And, and, and as we think about that, just allow the Holy Spirit just to even start uh, speaking into your own heart of just saying, how, what steps do I need to make? And so as the officiants come up uh, uh, that are going to be serving communion this morning, uh, and whenever they, they come up here, I just want to invite everyone just to uh, take part in, in doing this together as a family and as a community. Amen. I live. 